Welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, discussing your life as a medical coder, offering coding tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us every Wednesday. Hello and welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series. My name is Jennifer McNamara and our program is brought to you from your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance and our goal is to bring you timely industry topics in the field of health information management as well as tips for work-life balance. If you're a first-time listener, we thank you for joining the show today. And if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. As usual, our disclaimer, uh, nothing is to be taken as legal or professional advice. We base our podcast topics and information on our years of experience in the coding and billing industry. And our goal is to share with you what we've learned and why we love this industry. Well, you know, exciting stuff happening this month. We had a lot of updates, the Medicare update. We've had the new 2022 guidelines and codes that we're just digging through, right? And we're loving them, right? I know every year when I get the new updates, that's my favorite thing to do is is get out those guidelines and compare. And uh, so stay tuned uh, for our first bonus live episode on YouTube that's going to air, of course, next uh, week on the 28th of July. Today, of course, is episode six. Uh, this is one of our regular episodes, our free episodes for you, those of you out there. If you're not a member of the Life as a Coder squad, I encourage you to jump on over to www.patreon.com slash life as a coder and pick a membership level. They are $10 or less and they offer CEUs. So if you haven't heard, we have a great membership, one CEU for every episode that comes with the CEU every month. And then, of course, uh, for your bonus levels, uh, for your all-access members, we do give you a bonus episode. And, of course, the regular monthly episode that comes with the CEU. So that's two CEUs a month. And for those of you VIP members out there, you get three CEUs a month. You get everything that the all-access and uh, those dollar membership members get, and you get a free webinar from our site, which means you're going to get three CEUs as well as, of course, everyone gets early access and so much from me. Uh, All-access members and VIP members, you get, of course, our blog. So I hope you're enjoying all of the information we're trying to put out for you here at Ozark Coding Alliance and Life as a Coder. Our goal is always to educate to bring in as many people as possible and make them feel like this is a fun career, right? Because I love coding. I know a lot of my coworkers and of course, uh, all of my network, they love coding. And so let's keep coding everyone. So as you know, I love, love, love evaluation and management. It's my favorite. So uh, of course, I always say that, right? You always hear me say, oh, it's my favorite, but I really, really do love evaluation and management. Uh, for those of you who have heard my my story and uh, my history, one of the things I always talk about is how originally, yes, I did not enjoy evaluation and management. It was something that I didn't get it. There was too many pieces to it, and I just said, I'm not going to get this. But I, of course, persevered. I had a great mentor who broke it down step by step for me and helped me see the importance of not just being a coder, but also being a biller and understanding the reimbursement pieces. And just because we know how to code it doesn't mean it's going to get paid, right? So one of the things I want to talk about today is thinking outside the 2021 guidelines and focusing on those other areas. So our, our topic today is think outside 2021 with evaluation and management. 
So let's dig in. Let's talk about some of those areas that are so, you know, maybe uh, not as coded as often. If you don't have a physician that you code for in the hospital, they don't go to the hospital. Believe it or not, some physicians don't ever go to the hospital to see patients. They're strictly in the clinic. Uh, and so you will, you may never code them, or maybe you're only coding the office charges and you never make it to coding the hospital charges. But we always say at Ozark and at Life as a Coder, don't limit yourself. You never know when you're going to find that great opportunity and move into a new area of coding and reimbursement, and you're gonna need to know all of these ins and outs. E&M is not just about the new 2021 guidelines. We still have to use 95 and 97 guidelines for our other code sets for the time being, right? We all are excited, right? We're knowing the changes that are potentially coming right for 2023. We have the proposed changes. So we're looking forward to seeing some of the changes that happen to some of our other code sets in 2023. But for now, let's talk about how to code and get paid for our other areas of evaluation management that are so dear to us. So I'm going to dig in. I'm going to pick on the observation services first. So what are observation services? What is observation? Well, that is, of course, the bed, uh, the periodic monitoring by the hospital staff. They're going to look at a patient's condition. They may have been, of course, in the ER and had something happen. So they have to actually uh, put them in observation status. Now, remember, they're not fully admitted. There's not an inpatient admission going on. They're just in observation status. Now, one of the things that people get confused about, of course, is the fact that in observation, there's not a specific place in the hospital. There's not an observation unit. Observation can happen in any place in the hospital. It's just a status. So for those of you who code hospital charges, you're probably familiar with the fact that before you even start to code, you have to look at the orders, right? You have to look at where the patient is in the hospital at the time that face-to-face service took place. So if your physician is going to see a patient and you notice they were not fully admitted yet on that date of service, they were technically in observation status, you know you have to code from the 99218 to 99220 if they are the physician that was the one responsible for putting them in observation, right? And they might see them subsequent days. And so you have your 992-24-26. And then, of course, they're going to officially discharge them. So you're going to have your 99217. But remember, those are for the physician that, of course, is ordering that observation service and is going to be monitoring them and responsible for the observation, you know, care. And so we're talking about the, the physician who is responsible for that. All other practitioners who bill these office or outpatient codes, they, of course, have to look at variables, right? So other physicians may have to, of course, bill uh, services like a consulting physician, for instance. A consulting physician, of course, might see a patient in observation, right? So I work for surgeons, and so I have to deal with this quite frequently, actually, because I know that because Medicare does not accept consult codes, I have to work within what I have. And the guidelines and Medicare um, and many payers, they tell us that, of course, if you can't bill a consult code, because we don't, we don't agree with that, then you can bill other services. So if they are outpatient, right, which is observation is an outpatient department in the hospital. So once you recognize that, you know, okay, that that's a place of service 22. Place of service 22 is outpatient, uh, and it also applies to observation. 
place of service 21 is, of course, inpatient, right? So you know that that place of service going on the claim is going to be outpatient. So what do I do? Well, remember, in 2021, the code sets that we use and that have changed are the 99202-15. We have used those before for the same purpose for other services like observation, outpatient departments of the hospital that can't bill consults. So whenever we do bill a physician for a physician that is seeing a patient in observation and we can't bill a consult code, we've always reverted to the 99202-15, which means we're going to want to now switch our gears to 2021. So that's one of the things I want to point out. Sometimes with observation, you are going to have to think with 2021, but other times not, right? Because if you don't have to bill a consult, if you are the admitting to observation physician, and you are, of course, writing that order and you're responsible, you're the ordering physician, then you, of course, are responsible. You bill those admission to observation codes. Have you heard? Now the CCS exam is available without restrictions. Now is a great time to jumpstart your coding career with one of the most popular certifications in the country. The majority of employers require a CCS credential, and at Ozark Coding Alliance, we're here to help you achieve this goal. Join our workshop this July for only $129 and earn five CEUs. You can register at ccscoder.com. Sometimes, of course, uh, we know patients, they don't always get uh, admitted and discharged the following day. Sometimes they are admitted, they're monitoring them right, but they get discharged the same day, right? Well, we have codes for that too. Sometimes it's gonna get confusing for coders, but we have to follow the guidelines and the requirements set out by the payer. So I always go to my local MAC carrier, ours is Novitas, to see their, of course, requirements, but I'm gonna tell you, majority of them are the same. I mean. I only go with Novitas. I don't know what your local MAC carrier is. I always suggest looking at them. But ours, of course, tells us that, of course, we have our code set laid out by CPT guidelines that Medicare follows. It's 992-34-36. So in order for them to be classified as same-day discharge, the medical record must also include documentation stating the stay for observation involved eight hours but less than 24 so they do need to be, of course, in that observation unit for at least eight hours and less than 24. And remember, this is based on calendar days. It's not having to do with a 24-hour period, uh, but it is a calendar day. So if it was the same calendar day and they were discharged, we don't need a 99217 or a 99238, uh, depending on where they're admitted to. Admit discharge applies to either observation or inpatient you know, codes. So if the patient was fully admitted, right, or to inpatient status or fully admitted to observation status, it depends on the status, of course. And then we code the same day discharge based on the criteria of eight hours less than 24. When I was working for the hospital doing some of these and I was learning, there were some scenarios that popped up and some guidelines that our facility had to constantly review with us because sometimes we weren't getting it and so as a new coder it took me some time and now i love to talk about it because of how long it took me to understand the split shared concept so now there are times in the observation area where services can be split or shared between a physician and a non-physician practitioner so if you work for a place a, a clinic where you have a physician you have a nurse practitioner or you have a 
physician assistant who's also considered a physician extender, and they're in the same group. Sometimes they see patients for the physician, right? And sometimes they share, right? So the physician services, of course, and the non-physician services have to be properly understood. So when we're talking about services billed by the non-physician practitioner, those physician extenders, we have to understand they all require the face-to-face -face visit with the patient. Now, if the service is billed by the non-physician practitioner, it's reimbursed at a lower rate, isn't it? At 85% of the physician fee schedule. But how do we understand the billing and how do we understand the documentation? That's really what we look at as coders. Yeah, we know the codes, right? We know what codes have to be billed, but how do we read the documentation in order to understand what is required and when we can appropriately bill these services? Look at some of the criteria first of all. So for the nurse practitioner or that non-physician extender, a physician assistant and the physician, they would expect to be in the same group practice. That is one of the requirements. Uh, it has to be of course submitted um, with that information in hand and the physician has to have a medically necessary encounter, right? Uh, where they and the physician extender, that nurse practitioner or a physician assistant, personally perform a substantial portion of that visit, that face-to-face -face visit uh, with a patient on the same day. So they're both going to perform a substantial portion, right, of that visit. And of course, that would involve, you know, the history, the exam, the medical decision-making, the key components of an E&M service. And it has to have more than a review of the medical record by the physician. So there has to be more than just that basic review, walk in the room, okay, I agree. Like there has to be some involvement, right? If you're both going to split and share this visit, you're gonna to have to both be involved in the care and in the examination and the history and so forth, right? So for documentation purposes, obviously we have to have the identification of both providers. Uh, the physician notes have to link to that of the nurse practitioner or the physician assistant, that non-physician uh, practitioner. And there has to be, of course, legible signatures, whether it's electronic or such, uh, but it has to be able to verify that those physicians belong to those, or so those signatures belong to those physicians, right? and confirm that they both saw the patient face-to-face. -face. What documentation can we use to confirm this, right? So on one of the Matt Carrier's websites, CGS Medicare, I found some great little documentation, uh, little snippets, and I think they're great. And I'll, of course, put this in the show notes uh, so you can have access to this documentation, this link, because I think it's helpful. We all love examples, right? So let's talk about some of these examples. So. An example such as, I have personally performed a face-to-face -face diagnostic evaluation. My findings are as follows, and then list the findings. I have personally performed a face-to-face -face diagnostic evaluation. I have reviewed and agreed with the, the care plan. History and exam by me shows, so forth, signed by the physician. And then the following, of course, would not be adequate. Patient seen seen and examined, not acceptable. We wanna make sure we give the detail, right? How are they going to confirm that we were involved in the required portions of a split shared visit without telling us what we examined, what we, we reviewed, what we found, right? That's the proof that they need, right? Remember, your insurance carrier, your auditors, they are not in the room with you. They have to go by what you have written down in your documentation 
If it didn't get documented, it didn't happen, right? Coding 101. So when the physician's documentation does support that he performed that face-to-face -face visit, along with the nurse practitioner, you can submit the E&M service under either the physician or the nurse practitioner's, you know, NPRP's hand. So maybe let's say the nurse practitioner sees the patient um, and the physician follows with a documented face-to-face -face visit on that same day. It supports what the nurse practitioner or the physician assistant did. Um, so we have, of course, backup. We have proof that that happened and can, we can proceed. So we want to understand those key points there. And of course, this comes directly from the Medicare Claims Processing Manual. And so this, of course, is important to reference. Now, how many of you know what the Medicare Claims Processing Manual is or the Internet-only manual? For a long time, I've talked to people and some of them didn't know what it was. So what is it? Well, I'm also going to give you a link to the internet-only manual, the IOM, in the show notes so you can get there. But it is basically all of the agency's official records, all the copies of their manuals. So it, it has so much in there, you guys, like so much. So yes, the 100-04 is what the reference is for what I just talked about. It's in the Medicare Claims Processing Manual. They have a benefit policy manual. They have a manual for the secondary payers, uh, even for the state agencies, Medicaid stuff. So there's so much in there. And so it's a lot. I understand. It's several pages. It's several policies. But you just need to be aware that it's there. And, of course, if you need to look up how to process something or how they process things, how the benefits are understood, how to understand the national coverage determinations, how the state programs operate and such, it's important to know where to go to find it. And you may see, you know, when you Google certain things, it may take you to a reference from the internet only manual and it tells you exactly where they found that. So if you need proof for your physician or someone need, you need backup to prove where you got the information you're sharing, right? You can direct them to this official policy manual so they can know, yes, I didn't just pull this out of thin air. I really did find this on CMS's website. Now, there have been some frequently asked questions about discharges. And yes, technically, if they're inpatient, you know, we have the 99238 and 39 for the official discharge. But remember, according to the guidelines and documentation requirements, the physician has to have an official discharge summary. And the admitting physician has to do that discharge. That's what they're required to do. And so that is, of course, required. But there was a question out there. Of course, if, you know, I see a patient, do I actually have to do a report? And if I discharge the patient, can I do so without actually seeing them? And I saw this question and it didn't make sense to me why someone would ask that. But I guess there are times where you're talking over the phone, maybe to a nurse and you're not actually seeing the patient, but you're, of course, discussing lab results. And you're like, yeah, they can go home. But in order to bill that 99238, you have to spend time on the date of discharge on the patient's floor doing that work. You have to be involved actively in the discharge, uh, final discharge, right? Uh, Medicare and most payers require that face-to-face. -face. That's what those codes are for. They indicate in the guidelines they're face-to-face -face encounters, right? It specifically says hospital discharge day management, more than 30 minutes. That's for the 99239, of course. And it, of course, discharge day management does not require specific examination, uh, but it's based on your unit floor time, which includes the final exam, 
discussion of the hospital stay, instructions for that care, what they're going to do next, the preparation of the discharge records, any prescriptions, referral forms, and such. So all the time spent doing that does count, right? But of course, it has to happen. It's not just a phone call. Yeah, they're okay. All of those other things have to take place, right? Because remember, the value of a 238 is two, uh, two plus RVUs, and the 39 is three plus RVUs. So remember that in order to get that RVU reimbursement, that relative value unit, you have to be doing that work, right? So that's something I want to bring out, a frequently asked question that people still ask. And so we like to answer it uh, and give you that information from the guidelines. So I always say go back to your guidelines if you ever need to refresh or maybe a situation doesn't sound right to you. Go back to the guidelines, read it word for word. What is it actually trying to say, right? Our next area we're gonna talk about is the transitional care management. So this is, of course, abbreviated TCM. It's Medicare's transitional care management code. So it's basically that handoff, right, between the inpatient and the community setting. So after a patient's hospitalized, either um, in the inpatient facility stay, um, or maybe they're in a skilled nursing facility, they may have a medical crisis, a new diagnosis, a change in therapy. So their family physician, their PCP, will often manage their transition, right? And we have codes for 99495, that's moderate medical complexity requiring a face-to-face -face visit within 14 days of discharge. And then 99496, high medical complexity requiring a face-to-face -face visit within seven days of discharge. Now, there are requirements for this, and of course, I always go uh, to uh, the American uh, Family Physicians uh, website, uh, the foundation, I'm sorry, and so I really love going there because they have so much information that is so valuable, and so they list requirements uh, and the components that we need to have. Of course, it has to be contact with that beneficiary, that caregiver, within two days of that following that discharge. It can happen telephone, face-to-face, -face, email, whatever. Um, there has to be a follow-up visit within 7 to 14 days uh, of the discharge, depending on your complexity, as we, we mentioned those code selections, right? And, of course, uh, that face-to-face -face visit is part of that transitional care management service. And we don't bill it separately, so it's bundled in right to that code we're using. Now, there has to be a reconciliation of medicine, um, and, of course, it has to be done no later than the date of that face-to-face -face visit, right? It's within that time frame. There may have to be, of course, a review of that discharge information. You have to look at that. They were discharged, right? Their transition of care needs to take place. So you need to review that information uh, and obtain that information. Uh, you'll have to review the need. Do they need diagnostic testing? Do they need follow-up on other tests that they had done? Um, education. You're going to need to transition them to a new um, area, right? And so a new situation. And they're going to need education. The, the family is going to need education, their caregiver. You're going to have to establish or reestablish referrals. You're going to have to help them in scheduling their visits uh, with other providers and services. So all of this is included in that transitional care management. So maybe we're wondering, okay, so there's a lot included. How much am I getting paid for this? 
Well, according to the RVU value for the 9.6, that of course is about eight, a little over eight RVUs. And then for the lower code, it's about six. So yes, it's very substantial. It is definitely over a normal ENM visit. So they are getting a good amount of RVU value for the time and all of the things they have to do during this transitional care management. So read the guidelines, make sure you're falling in line with those requirements. Uh, there are specific requirements like with most things, right? So are we following those uh, you know, items? Are we looking at that transitional care management guidelines? And are we looking at all of the variables? Now we also have to know, of course, uh, where they can be discharged from. It's an inpatient acute hospital, long-term care, skilled nursing, inpatient rehab, and then hospital observation or partial hospitalization. So those, they can be discharged from any of those places. And then of course, we need to understand the types of healthcare professionals that can bill for these. So of course, your physicians, any specialty, your clinical nurse specialist or CNS, nurse practitioner, NP, physician assistant, PA, so your physician extenders, and a certified nurse midwife. Any non-physician, of course, has to legally be authorized and qualified to provide the service in the state that they are furnished. So do they have the requirements laid out by that state? So you definitely want to research and look into that. But let's review. So have we met the requirements and the components? I'm going to put this in the show notes. And our code selection is the 99495 and 99496. So it's worth a review of your official guidelines. Uh, get, of course, on your payer's website, Medicare's processing manual their requirements of course listed there but you're going to find some of the same things you're going to find some of the same information but check with your payer and read the documentation do you have you met the criteria uh, for this tcm service and of course we have questions from time to time so what if you don't fill out that initial contact form or it wasn't completed well then you're going to default to your office enm code based on the mdm or the total time like we do now um, ask yourself, did the patient see the physician immediately after discharge? And if multiple attempts were made, um, so you have to make those multiple attempts and you document those in the medical record to get the credit, right? You have to have those multiple attempts and documentation in the record. So those are some of the things to remember. And then we of course had the question that comes up, can you report a separate E&M on the same date of service? Uh, the face-to-face -face visit that the TCM occurs. Remember, that would be no, because the guidelines state that any other visit during that 30-day period cannot be billed separately. Uh, you're gonna, of course, need the chronic conditions, those comorbidities to support the MDM and for the TCM, and you cannot double dip information to get credit for two different services. So you're gonna need all that information anyway. So all the information you get from the from that face-to-face -face visit uh, within that period of time is going to go towards your transitional care management. You're not going to double dip into that. Before I jump into our last area, I did want to briefly touch and go back on some of the things that we understand from the new uh, rule and some of the things that came about. Uh, I did want to talk about the mid the two midnight rule uh, because it was referenced uh, in the updates, right? So what is the two midnight rule? Well, back when the two midnight rule came into play several years ago, it was, of course, necessary. Of course, you had to have a valid reason to be admitted, which obviously, right? But your hospital stay also had to be expected to span two midnights. So in come the midnight, two midnight rule. So 
is it medically necessary for you to be admitted? And have you, of course, been there? Or is it going to expect you to be there for two midnight? So that was kind of the criteria that came into play for that. So what were they talking about in that new update or that new final rule that just, uh, of course, came about? So, of course, on July 19th, 2021, CMS did propose, of course, updates uh, to several things. And, of course, this period would end on September 17th. And they will, of course, allow comments uh, to be issued in early, early November. So this is, of course, far, part of their newsroom, their updates. And so I just wanted to kind of bring in a part of that. Uh, there's a lot of information in that final rule uh that is, of course, happening right now. And so we want to make sure we understand some of it. But I mean, I do recommend you, of course, read through as much as you can. But one of the things that we all look at, especially if we work in a physician's office where we have to order surgery, right? There have been changes to the inpatient only list. So this is a list of services that are, of course, because of their complexity, Medicare is only going to pay for them when they're in the inpatient setting. So that's what that's talking about. And of course, in 2021, they finalized a policy to eliminate the inpatient-only list over a certain period of time. They're going to remove 298 services from that list and so forth. So there's a lot of information out there that we're looking at, and uh, it can be overwhelming, right? So the reason I wanted to talk about that two-minute rule is because of how it affects this inpatient-only list. So we understand, of course, there were certain... Uh, procedures in place that would affect that inpatient only list. Now, back in 2021, January 1st, 2021, that inpatient only list would, they would say there'd be exemptions from certain medical reviews related to that two midnight policy. So it's medically necessary. They expect them to be there for two midnights, of course, the inpatient. But for calendar year 2022, they are proposing to revise that exemption for those procedures that were removed on or after January 1st, 2021 from that list. And so they're going to go back and look at what was previously in effect so that all the services in that time frame were paid, will be paid for under that and eventually subject to medical review. So eventually all of those services that were part of that exemption would be under review based on that two midnight policy. So that's how we understand this update as far as part of that final rule. So if you have any questions about how that works exactly, you can reach out to me, but it makes sense, you know, what they're doing here. They're, they're trying to make sure that they review everything. And so when they, of course, think about this policy they have, this two midnight policy, medical necessity has to be there to, of course, uh, put them as an inpatient status, it has to span those two midnights. So they're going to review that, that list of inpatient-only uh, procedures in order to make sure that policy is correctly followed. Okay, so now let's move along to one of my most frequently asked questions from my network, and that is about the annual wellness visit, the AWV. So I, of course, am going to upload in my show notes the Medicare wellness visits. They're, of course, uh, they updated their tool here, the MLN tool, in February of this year. Uh, but I wanted to kind of just run through the codes because... Often people confuse the different options, different codes. They confuse the initial preventative physical exam, the IPPE, the AWV, and the routine exam. So the quick start guide, all of the information on this Medicare wellness uh, sheet is so helpful. And I think by reviewing it yourself, 
you're going to have so much information at your disposal. You're going to be able to go back to your providers and you're going to be like, okay, I get it. <laughs> so this is really great. So let's talk about it. The initial preventative physical exam, the IPPE, this of course is covered once within the 12 months periods of their enrollment into Part B. So for instance, they're going to of course have this uh, on their lifetime benefit. So the first thing they're gonna have is their initial preventative physical exam, their IPPE. The patient doesn't pay anything if the provider accepts assignment. So this is gonna happen once within their 12 months of them enrolling with Medicare. It's a lifetime benefit, but it only happens once. It's the initial. Next comes, of course, their annual wellness visit, their AWV. And this, of course, is to develop um, and update their plan, right? So this is covered once every 12 months. The patient doesn't pay anything if the provider accepts assignments. Now, let's talk about the different codes. How do we understand the difference between the IPPE and the annual wellness visit? Well, let's look at some of the criteria and the codes. The codes are great, right? That's what we want to do. And I have some great references I'm going to attach to kind of really break up these codes for you. So for the IPPE, that's their Welcome to Medicare. That's the G0402. So according to the criteria, as I mentioned, they get this once in a lifetime. It's within that first 12 months of enrollment and so forth. They're going to, of course, have to provide certain exam requirements, height, weight, BMI, uh, blood pressure, so forth. Uh, they, of course, uh, will have their ECG covered. Um, there are criteria for that as well. And, of course, uh, we want to understand all the criteria for the IPPE. There is specific documentation requirements that are listed, of course, on Medicare's website. And then, again, the once-in-a-lifetime for the AWV. That's the code G0438. So, first of all, the IPPE comes into play within the first 12 months. And then 12 months after the IPPE is when comes in that initial annual wellness visit because it's annual. It's 12 months after that initial visit, that welcome to Medicare visit. Or if they did not receive an IPPE during the 12-month eligibility window. So they this could happen 12 months after the IPPE or it can come, of course, um, if they didn't have that within that 12-month window. So... How do they pay for this? So it has to be at least 11 full months after the GO402. So if you try to bill the GO438 in uh, less than 11 months from the GO402, you're going to have some problems. So you can bill it when you reach the same calendar month as the previous year's visit. So that is, of course, a great way to do it because that is, of course, 12 months, right? They're going to, of course, obtain the height, weight, BMI, blood pressure. And it's not required for them to have the visual acuity. They would have done that on that IPP. So remember that. Now, the ECG is not covered under uh, this one because they would have done that as part of their IPP, that it welcome to Medicare visit. And we want to understand, of course, uh, the criteria for the subsequent AWV, that GO439. This is done annually. So at first they've had their IPPE, their Welcome to Medicare visit. Then they, of course, 12 months later, they get their GO438. And then every year after that initial AWV, that initial annual wellness visit, they then, of course, get their GO439, their subsequent. This, of course, has to be at least 11 full months after that uh, previous code, right? The GO438. 
and it can be billed when you reach the same calendar month as the previous year. So do we get the process? Do we get the differences between the IPPE, the AWV, and the subsequent AWV? Of course, I'm going to give you all of the links, all of the references that I've used today in this podcast, a lot of information that we've given you today. And so again, I love getting my research from the American Academy of Family Physicians Foundation. Uh, their information, of course, comes from Medicare, it comes from all the resources uh, that we see. And so I just love using them because of their access to so much helpful information. So there's so many uh, tips on there about denials for billing that I, of course, can't go into in this podcast. We don't have enough time. There's so many questions out there, but I feel like giving you the resources, talking about this in clear language really will help you understand, especially if you're a new coder and you understand what the codes mean, but you don't understand the billing criteria, all of the documentation things. So I really think you're going to enjoy these references and tip sheets that I'm going to give you uh, to help you keep everything straight in your head. So I hope you enjoyed this episode today. We covered a lot, didn't we? We covered a lot of things about observation versus inpatient. We talked about the two midnight rule. We talked about TCM. We talked about split shared, uh, the uh, annual wellness visits and that criteria. So I think uh, you'll have a lot of information to kind of give you an appreciation for all the other areas of E&M that we have to deal with from time to time. And so it's always our goal here at Life as a Coder podcast to inspire and educate. And as I always say, knowledge is power. The knowledge you gain today makes you powerful tomorrow. Don't give up on coding. Keep learning and keep growing. This has been Jennifer McNamara with Life as a Coder. Thank you to our sponsors, Ozark Coding Alliance and our amazing podcast producer, Gabriel Fast with Highland Productions. Join our Patreon squad for Life as a Coder at www.patreon.com slash life as a coder and become a member and earn your CEUs today. Thank you until next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Life as a Coder podcast series brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other coders, students, and professionals just like you. Come back every Wednesday for a new episode. We'll catch you then. Project Resume can make your medical coding dreams come true. From resumes to interview skills to navigating a successful career, Project Resume has the advice you need from coders you can trust. See all that we have to offer at projectresume.net. Be sure to reference this podcast when you place your order.